For the next two Sundays, uh, we're going to be taking a break from our series in Philippians to address uh, the pressing issue of our time, uh, systemic racism and inequality. Now, I understand that there are times when we need to take our minds off of everything that's going on, when we need to just step away from the chaos and all the things that we have been inundated with and just simply fix our eyes upward. And that's how I felt about the coronavirus a few months ago. However, there are other times when we shouldn't take our minds off of everything that's going on, when we shouldn't do that because it has to do with the gospel. There are times when we are called to confront everything that's going on around us because sin is involved, because people are oppressed, and because injustices are taking place. And there are times when actively engaging the issue at hand is our way of looking upward. And I believe that this is one of those times. Now, friends, I'm not going to rehash everything that happened during the past two weeks, or for that matter, the past 200 years. I'm not going to summarize the positions of the Black Lives Matter movement or join in on the course of those leading this important charge. This is not the right context to be doing that. However, what I am going to do, as I do every week, is to explore what Jesus has to say concerning all of this. And hopefully, that will challenge you, that will challenge our church towards a biblical response. A response that's not just after justice, but a response that is filled with mercy. You know, today's passage is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And while this is one of the most widely known stories, at the same time, I think it's one of the most misunderstood stories. You see, the passage begins with Jesus affirming that the way to eternal life is to love God and love your neighbor. Now, to explain all this, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but he fell into the hands of bandits. This man was robbed, beaten, and left to die on the road. Three people passed by, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And while the priest and the Levite passed this man by, the Samaritan stopped to help this man. Now the story ends with Jesus asking this very seemingly obvious question. Who was a good neighbor to this man? Now I know for many of us, this story appears to be simple, obvious, and clear-cut. But that is not the case. Remember, Jesus is a masterful storyteller. Jesus isn't telling us this straightforward story where the answer is just so obvious. Rather, what Jesus is doing is he's crafting a story where the characters involved are in a dilemma. The characters involved have to make a difficult decision as to what to do. You see, the priest and the Levite in the story, they aren't these evil, heartless people who don't care about those in need. No, these people love their neighbors. However, as a priest and as a Levite, they are not allowed to touch dead bodies. According to Leviticus 21, touching a dead body means that they become unclean. And if they are unclean, they become unqualified for temple services. And so here's the dilemma. 
Helping this poor man is a way to love their neighbor. But being faithful to their calling to temple service, not being unclean, is their way of loving God. And so, which will they choose? Will they love their neighbor, or will they choose to love God? In addition to all this, uh, there were all sorts of Jewish interpretations of the law. There was one in particular that stated that if someone is in need of help, but that person is on a busy road, those with temple duties can pass them by. Why? Because it's a busy road. Someone else is going to come and see this person in need. And so where does the story take place? It takes place on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, a very busy road. And so you see Jesus masterfully putting together this story filled with all sorts of dilemmas. The person, he appears dead. He's not fully dead, but he looks dead. Jesus describes him as being half dead. And so it puts the person in a predicament. What should I do? It takes place on a busy road, this story. And so they also have this interpretation where they know that someone else is going to come. And so they can move on and be faithful to their calling to temple services. And most importantly, what's going on in this story is that the priest and the Levite are really asking themselves, should I obey the commandment to love God or should I obey the commandment to love my neighbor? They both decide that the wise thing to do, the best thing to do at this point, is to pass by. Now, the very next person that comes is a Samaritan. Again, this is intentional. The Samaritan isn't in a conundrum. Why? Because he doesn't have any laws to abide by. He doesn't have to worry about being unclean because as a Samaritan, he is always considered to be unclean. And so, this Samaritan man who has no law to follow, no guidelines to assist him, in a sense, this man was free. He wasn't bound by anything except compassion. Verse 33 says this, But a Samaritan, when he saw him, he had compassion. And this is the great irony of today's passage. The great plot twist of Jesus' story. That in the end, it's the Samaritan who was able to love both God and his neighbor. It wasn't the priest, it wasn't the Levite, but it was the Samaritan, not bound by anything but compassion. You see, the point that Jesus is trying to make with this story is this. There's something really deficient in the law. While it's made up of volumes and volumes of writing, still, the law is deficient. It cannot deal with complex issues. And as a result, Jesus is saying the law cannot give you eternal life. So what's the alternative? Well, Luke tells us, and please, follow along. This is what's going on. Just a chapter earlier, Jesus and his disciples are on a mountain, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear. It's the transfiguration. Peter says what any good Jew would say. Hey, let's set up camp. 
This is great. Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, the great prophet, who kept an entire nation from turning from the law. But what happens? Poof, they're gone. They disappear, except Jesus. And at that moment, God speaks through the clouds, and he says this, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Not Moses, not Elijah. Listen to him. Fast forward to Luke 10, and right after our passage, we have the story of Mary and Martha. And while Jesus is with them, Martha is doing what any good Jewish woman should be doing. She is showing hospitality according to the law. But what is Mary doing? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Luke asks this question. Which of these two is doing the better thing? Is it listening to Jesus or is it following the law? And Luke tells us the better thing is listening to Jesus. You see, what the parable of the Good Samaritan is teaching us is that the way to eternal life, the way to love both God and our neighbor, is not through the law, but only through Jesus. Now, at this point, some of you might be asking, okay, so what does this have to do with our current situation? What does this have to do with everything that we are facing? Well, I think there are three important points of application that I want to share with our church. The first point of application is this. What the gospel does is the gospel frees us from artificial dilemmas so that we can simply act out of compassion. Let me restate that or state that again. The gospel frees us from any artificial dilemmas so that we can simply act out of compassion. I think we all can agree that um, the rhetoric right now surrounding this issue has become extremely divisive. And I think it's because of the way in which this issue has been framed. It's presented as a political issue. And then, that means it's left versus right. If it's framed as a race issue, then it's white versus black. If you make it an institutional issue, then it's the police versus black communities. And what all of this does is that when you stand with one side, when you frame it in this way, if you choose one side, it automatically makes the other side an enemy. Again, remember the dilemma. Should I love God or should I love my neighbor? It's the same type of dilemma that we see in today's passage. But what does Jesus do? What does the gospel, what does the gospel do? Or what, the gospel, what, what does the gospel do? Well, the gospel frees us from this false dichotomy. This illusion that I have to choose one and make the other my enemy. That I have to choose one and sacrifice the other. No, the gospel frees us to simply act out of compassion to those in need. It takes us out of these artificial dilemmas. And it allows us to simply act out of love and compassion. Friends, I'll have you know that the Bible doesn't really talk much about race relations. 
It's interested in another dynamic. It's interested more in power relations. The Bible talks a lot about the oppressed and the oppressor. And in this word, in Scripture, we find that God always stands with the oppressed. And his wrath and anger is kindled towards the oppressor. And friends, I don't need to present to you the insurmountable evidence that those in need at the present, that those who have been oppressed for hundreds of years in this country, are our black brothers and sisters. And so we must stand with them at this time. But once again, this does not mean that we have to ostracize law enforcement. This doesn't mean that the church has to compromise our views on abortion or sexuality. You see, if you are someone who is torn by this, and believe it or not, there are a lot of people torn by this. If you're someone who is confused, not knowing where to stand, who to support, let me tell you that the gospel frees you to compassionately stand with those who are in need, to compassionately stand with the oppressed without having to make everyone else an enemy. So let me tell you what the gospel allows me personally to do. It allows me to support the black community, and it also allows me to support small business community, a small business community that has been the victim of opportunistic rioters. The gospel allows me to denounce systemic racism, while at the same time being compassionate to my police officer friends in New York who are working 12-hour shifts, six days a week. You know, I spoke with a few of them, but yeah, these men I know, they are good people. They are trying to allow for peaceful protests, but also they're called to enforce curfew laws. You see, the gospel frees me to not having to necessarily pick and choose a side. It allows me to stand with Black Lives Matter movement. It allows me to stand with refugees. It allows me to stand with the millions of unborn infants who are aborted. The gospel gives me this liberty. It doesn't put me in this artificial dilemma. I can act out of compassion to those in need. The second, I think, point um, of application is this. The gospel frees us from social pressures so that we can simply act out of compassion. The gospel frees us from social pressures so that we can simply act out of compassion. In the past 10 days, there has been a tremendous increase in support for our black brothers and sisters. However, I can't help but wonder how much of all of this support is because of social pressure? How much of all of this support is because of hype and hysteria on social media? How much of this support is out of fear? Fear of being on the wrong side. Fear of being labeled a bigot or worse, a racist. You know, it just might be my cynical side coming out here, but, you know, when these large corporations and organizations 
These corporations like Amazon, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, even the NFL, even the NFL who ostracized a black man for kneeling during the national anthem, when we see their response in support for Black Lives Matter, you know, I wonder how much of their response is out of fear of public backlash. You know, if you belong to these organizations or if you know that they are being sincere, I, I apologize. But I'm cautious of this. I'm afraid that right now, because of all this support, because the support has grown so much, it actually doesn't take much courage now to stand with them. In fact, choosing to stand with our black brothers and sisters has become the easy thing to do. It's become the lazy thing to do. Do you know what the gospel is calling us to do? The gospel isn't calling us to respond to social pressures. It's calling us to respond because of compassion. And I think there's a world of a difference. You know, the priest and the Levite, I'm sure they were thinking, what are others going to think? What are others going to say? What if people see me helping, and as a result, I become unclean? And they're probably thinking about all these scenarios in their head, all of these social pressures. But it was the Samaritan who was under no pressure to act. But when he saw someone in desperate need of help, he was so filled with compassion that it prompted him to respond. Church, I want us to be aware that social pressure will only get us to a certain point. If we want to see true, lasting change, we must act out of compassion. The third point of application is this. The gospel frees us from seeking convenience so that we can simply act out of compassion. The gospel frees us from seeking convenience so that we can simply act out of compassion. Often, no, always, always acting out of compassion means that it is going to inconvenience you. Meaning, you can't have convenience and compassion at the same time. You see, the Samaritan wasn't acting out of convenience. He didn't make his decision to help because he had some extra time. He didn't make his decision to help because he was looking for a companion. He didn't make the decision to help because he had booked an extra room at the inn and it was going to go to waste. Friends, please do not confuse this. An act of mercy born out of convenience is not an act of mercy. Mercy, compassion, they always cross over the line of personal convenience. What do we find in this story? The Samaritan, he pours oil and wine on the wounds of this man, and he binds them up. Oil and wine are costly items. He puts the man on his animal. 
he puts a half-dead man on his animal. And he travels by foot on what he now knows to be a very dangerous road. He takes him to an inn. He cares for him. You know, the Samaritan man, he had plans. I mean, he wasn't traveling for no reason. He was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho because he had a schedule. Because he had a purpose. But all that, he forfeits. He forfeits whatever schedule he had. Further, we see him paying for this man's stay at the inn. And he tells the innkeeper, whatever extra charges he incurs, I will pay for them as well. In other words, there is no stopping this man from showing mercy. There is no limit to his mercy and compassion. There is no limit. Because he's acting not out of convenience, but out of compassion. You know, Martin Luther King, uh, one day before he was assassinated in April of 1968, the day before he was killed, he gave his final speech, and in it, he talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. The year is 1968, MLK is in Memphis, Tennessee, and he's there encouraging hundreds of people to keep fighting for the cause, even though it may cost them everything. And to make his point, he references the parable of the Good Samaritan. MLK makes this point. He makes this observation. He says this, In this story, while the priest and the Levite were asking the question, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The Good Samaritan reversed the question, and he asked, If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Echoing the words of this great champion, that is the question before us today. Not, if I stop to help, what will happen to me? But if I do not stop to help, what will happen to them? Friends, if there is any... um, If there is need for any more encouragement, I want you to just be reminded that before you and I were ever in a position to help, before any of our attempts to become like this good Samaritan, remember first that we were that half-dead person lying helplessly on the side of the road. And it was only through the compassion and the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ, someone who is more than just a passerby, someone who intentionally inconvenienced himself by taking on human form. And it was only through the selfless pouring out of his life on the cross that you and I were ultimately restored and healed. Yes, Jesus was for us that good Samaritan. He was made unclean so that we could be made clean. And so now, it is upon us. And now this gospel story is calling us to go forward and be that good Samaritan and act out of compassion to those that we find in need.
You know, the most puzzling thing I find about um, this passage is that after Jesus tells the story, after he explains everything, he asks this question. So, who was the good neighbor? Do you know how the people respond? They don't say it was the Samaritan. They can't say it. They can't say it because they are too prideful. They can't say it because they are too embarrassed. Instead, what do they do? To answer this question, they generalize it. They make it ambiguous on purpose. They say, oh, it's the one who showed mercy. You know, for those of us who haven't said it yet, you know, we don't have to keep generalizing it. We can say it. We can be explicit. We can say, I support the black community. For those who haven't said his name yet, you can say it. You can say George Floyd was the victim of systemic racism. We don't have to beat around the bush. We don't have to generalize it. We don't have to be too prideful or embarrassed that maybe we got it wrong at one point. You see, Jesus' question, who was that good neighbor? And the people's response, I think, is a good reflection of sometimes our inability and our unwillingness to stand on the side of the oppressor, of those who are oppressed, and stand against the oppressor. And so this time, will you allow the gospel to free you to simply act out of compassion? Will you allow the gospel to free you so you don't act out of social pressure, so you don't act out of convenience? Will you allow the gospel to free you from any dilemmas that you might feel to be in so that you can simply stand with those in need and be compassionate just as our Lord Jesus Christ was merciful and compassionate. Would you join me in prayer at this time?